tonight on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, just recently nominated to represent the state of California for its Made in America products in a promotional initiative and recognition initiative put forth by our government. Also, our awesome friends north of the border, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA in beautiful Speedway, Indiana. want to say thank you for all the great questions you sent in. This has become the norm, so I'm going to try and avoid saying, boy, we got a crazy amount of questions because it's no longer new news. It's the norm. So got another two-parter this week. Not going to be able to get to everything you sent in for part one. Otherwise, you would hear me snoring towards the end of the episode because it would take that long. We're going to dive right into your questions here. And uh, I've had coffee. Uh, I was late in putting one of the few beers I've been saving in the fridge to cool down because it certainly felt like this might need to be an alcohol-induced episode when the news today came down. Confirmation of something seemed like the writing was kind of sort of on the wall. That being reigning Indy Lights champion Oliver Askew will not return to the Aero McLaren SP team after the season finale is done on October 25th. And there are days in this job that suck, not too many of them, but they certainly suck when we have something like this happen with a driver who is so brutally talented. And for a bunch of circumstances, we're not going to get into all of them here, but things went sideways with his team. And here we are talking about Oliver Askew, one and done, with his maiden IndyCar team, but we have to believe that there will be a second. So let's get into your questions here. Uh, There's a number of them about Oliver to start. Answer them to the best of my comfort level, and I'll give you that caveat up front. Uh, There's probably a lot more that I could throw in here than I want to, and I would say the underlying reason is we really want the kid to have some clear space and for teams to look at him in a clean and clear light. And so let's get things rolling. Lance Snyder, you're rolling a little funny here right now, and I appreciate that, my brother. But, uh, dear Minister of Mirth, I'm going to hold off on that because I'm not really in the ha-ha head space right now. Thomas Gross says, Do you have any more details on the Oliver Askew situation? Was Oliver's contract a multi-year deal and he's being fired? Are they choosing to not resign him? Uh, externally, it's looking like Arrow and Spam has some thin skin. Two drivers fired in two years for things they didn't like. The whole thing seems a mess. Uh, let's see. Northern Penguin 01 from Reddit. Uh, you firing something similar. Marshall, about two minutes before riding this, uh, the Air McLaren SP team announced that Oliver Askew is out of a ride for next season. This is really unfortunate as I think he is super talented and can compete for wins and titles in IndyCar. This seems more political than performance-based. This on top of what they did to Hinch last year even further sours my opinion of my once-favorite team. As far as I know, he doesn't have significant funding behind him. Is there anywhere he might fit into for next season? And can we assume Elio is a front-runner for the seven-car next season? Or is there anyone else you think could end up in that seat 
Uh, let's see. So, Thomas, this I would say we're going to look back at and ultimately point to this being inside voices being let out. This being the, oh boy, I really wish any significant problems, any significant, you name it, uh, were all kept internal. And even if things weren't going in a happy way, let's keep this internal and see what we can come up with. I can't tell you. I don't know if all those things took place and there was a desperation move to take this to the media, but I can tell you that the end result is something that following what happened about 12 months ago with Hinch took place with a team that, as you mentioned, has some incredibly thin skin. Also have mentioned this is a team that is very vain. They are super, super, super all about image, nothing negative, everything positive. And if you roll into this scenario, this has nothing to do with Oliver, but it certainly has something to do with speaking out. If you consider what took place last year with Hinch, the ESP and the body issue, and the massive issue that team title sponsor Arrow took with it, uh, this was the one team in the paddock where if you were going to try and apply pressure publicly, possibly cast a little bit of aspersions, a little bit of embarrassment, something their way, I would just say that if I had to pick any team in the paddock in 2020 to not do those things with or to, Arrow McLaren SP is the one that stands out more than any other for the reasons of what happened late last year. And I'm not blaming Hinch. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. I'm not weighing in on right, wrong, whatever. Admittedly, Thomas, while all that stuff makes for a lot of drama, none of it matters in this situation. The company that spends the vast amount of the majority of the budget for this team in 2019 took massive exception to having its logo, its name, whatever, on the ESP and the body content that was shot with Hinch. Even if they fully knew about it, even if they signed off on it and the CEO of Arrow took the pictures, Thomas, because they are the ones spending the most amount of money with the team. They still have the ability to take issue with it and demand things. So that you could say is unfair, but as we know in life, the people that have the wealth, the people that have the power in general, kind of sort of do what they want. <laughs> okay, so this is nothing specific to motor racing and sponsorship. So just trying to paint a very quick scenario of, I don't care if everything was agreed upon with Arrow and they took the photos themselves, or if no communication took place whatsoever. 
it really doesn't matter. The fact that they, I am told, very nearly left the building as a result of it is something that would have sent shivers down everyone's spine. Can't tell you again what exact parts were spot on and not, but I can tell you the net effect was a bunch of people at this team, now called Aero McLaren SP, last year Aero SPM, but now Aero McLaren SP, where all the people that were there last year when this went down are still there now, and the outcome scared the living crap out of everyone. We better not do anything again that brings any disrepute, anything that might make any of our sponsors, including the primary sponsor, upset, angry, bring them into a bad conversation, embarrass them, you name it. That's the knock-on effect, Thomas, of what we have here. And so as a result, unfortunately, clearly some things were going on behind the scenes. I don't pretend it's not as if I was on the phone calls or zoomed in or whatever else, but very clearly discussions between both sides about Oliver's fitness and health, dealing with concussion-like syndrome symptoms, I should say, if not outright concussion. Uh, Clearly there were conversations taking place. The fact that this got out into the public and some things that talking, feeling, just receiving, right? Not who is right or wrong, but how yet again, folks with the money and or power, if not both, have the ability to say, we don't like this thing and we therefore can or will affect you and your career. That's what happened 12 months ago. Here we are again. And so on the surface, as I've read some folks' comments, hey, two guys, 12 months apart, what is wrong with the team? I'm not playing either side here. I'm just saying, as someone who's worked for racing teams for many, many years of my life, some that have had serious sponsors, some that haven't, some that have been self-funded by drivers and otherwise, you get a feel for the variety of sensibilities. And having worked for one or more teams where there was hypersensitivity in and around sponsors and the message and everything being clean and good and positive and so on, um, I know what it is like to be in a work environment where someone says something, someone does something, and a hyper-critical, fearful, thin-skinned, as you mentioned, type environment leads to some not very good things. So we'll just try and close here on Thomas's portion of the question. We have a situation where... There's already a lot of scars that haven't necessarily healed from what happened 12 months ago. This decision to take a conversation public, I believe unbeknownst to the team, that left some pretty raw, bad feelings, critical stuff, things that certainly could be processed as embarrassing or challenging or otherwise... This was the wrong team to do that with or against or however you might want to phrase it. 
there I'm not saying other teams would have loved reading that uh, if it was their driver in the advisement that driver received, but this is just one that oh there's no other team that would have reacted as negatively as Aero McLaren SP. And this is strictly because there was a precedent set not too long ago. That's where things, Thomas, are really unfortunate because it doesn't take that long of a memory to realize that, oh, uh, hmm, yeah, maybe you need to learn from history and not try and do something that would leave the people in power to be very upset with, uh, call it, locker room discussion, negotiating table discussion, those kinds of things being hashed out in the media. Uh, Coming back to Northern Penguin 01's question, talking about where he might land and not having money to help offset things. Yeah, so that's a concern for sure. Uh, Oliver winning the Indy Lights Championship, getting that what is it, million dollars or so payout to uh, help bankroll uh, partial ride in IndyCar was able extend that to a full season with the team here. I don't know what kind of money is available to him, but I would say of all the teams I'm looking at that could have one or more vacancies and some possibilities, the only one that has a really obvious link is the one that he left, that being his Indy Lights championship winning team and Ready Autosport. You guys have heard me mention many times in recent weeks. They've got a lot of budget stuff to figure out, but I know that there there is extreme fondness for Oliver Askew as a young man and also as a budding talent. This year, if we could wind the clock back, remove COVID, make sure that he gets all the in-season tests as well that he should have, and we take the couple of hard hits and the problems that those caused, if we just have a normal year, he's your rookie of the year, period. It's not even close. And I'm not saying that he's challenging Pato O'Ward. Pato, despite being younger, has infinitely more track time and development. But we have someone that has, I think, the entire series going, oh, man, wait until we get to 2021, 2022. This kid's going to be taking wins off of folks a couple times a year at least. This kid's going to be a thorough pain in the ass for the Firestone Fast Six. Uh, Roger Penske is going to be inquiring about his availability, and Ganassi might be inquiring about his availability. This is the kind of talent he is working with and has. Having watched him from, I'd love to say that I watched him in karting, didn't. Florida kid, I'm on the other side of the country, not so much, but... From USF 2000 to what uh, we call today is Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights, it's clear that this kid was destined for IndyCar. Uh, Being selected by Jeremy Shaw years ago when I first met him for the Team USA Scholarship, just 
No doubt. <laughs> Holy cow. So <sighs> remove all the things that suck about this year for him. And IndyCar teams are salivating about getting their hands on him. And the Aero McLaren SP team is putting a contract extension in front of him before we even get to the halfway point of the year because they don't want to let him go. That isn't how things went this year, but I would say that does not mean that any of those things are out of the realm of possibility for happening elsewhere. Knowing that he had a really strong year, championship-winning year at Andretti Autosport, I can only say or hope that the affinity they had for him, they didn't want to let him go. I mean, granted, they didn't have the money to keep him, but Michael was pretty forthcoming and saying like, Hey, loved having won the title with him, but we're not exactly wanting to let him out of our grip. They got a lot of things to shore up there financially, but just saying externally, uh, I got to believe that they're looking to see, is there a way to get him back somehow? Cause that kid is, that kid should be another Colton Herta, another Pato, another new garden, uh, that kid five, 10 years from now should be Ryan Hunter, Ray Rossi type, you name it, just kind of sort of got to start the development over again for him. Clean slate. And man, I don't know of any teams that are going after him to make this happen. Got to be clear about that. Just saying the last team that he had a great experience with is one that who knows could have some availability next year if they are successful in their sponsorship hunts. Uh, Chase and Akiri, uh, you got the last question here. Um, you know what? I apologize, Chase, and I know you don't send in stuff that often. This might even be the first time if I'm, I'm misremembering, misforgotting. Um, I'm going to skip this one just because, like I said, I, I don't want to drill in too deep here. Uh, the kid's in a place where he just needs a bit of calm around him. So uh, thank you for sending it in, though. Uh, let's go to Aaron Richmond. We're going to move topics to motors. In your personal opinion, thank you, Aaron, compared to my impersonal opinion, uh, given everything you know, do you believe that there will be a third OEM in IndyCar for the 2023 season when the new engine and chassis specs hit the track? Uh, well, first thing, just mentioning this for the sake of let's try and keep things where I think they are. I don't believe we're going to see anything new chassis wise in 2023. If so, there's plenty of time for that to change, but, uh, yeah, that seems like it's a bridge too far financially right now, my friend. So, uh, I think engine drivetrain back of the car, I think is going to be all brand new as, uh, I've recently mentioned, but. I'd be very surprised if there was a new Delara tub to go with it. Um, do I think there will be a third? Again, this is a, a feel question. I hope so. I don't know how to answer this, my friend. The article that I posted today about the series being in the best position that it's been in in quite a while to entice a third in the confirmation that they're still talking with Ferrari... Those are both positives, obviously. I know that I uh, saw a couple of folks like, yeah, 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 we've heard this crap before, whatever. Fair enough. Can only go on ammunition here, Aaron. 
this is the best ammunition I know of that IndyCar has had in quite some time. And that being at a time when the other, many other racing series are dealing with losses and manufacturers that are leaving, IndyCar has actually managed to sign supply extensions that I have to believe is a pretty important message to send to other manufacturers who are considering or on the fence or those that they might speak to for the first time. So I know that isn't answering your question, but I don't have an answer to your question. I think that there have been really good opportunities over the past almost decade for other manufacturers to get in, and they haven't. At times where the economy was stronger, at times where the state of automotive technology was simpler, and I would then hope or associate lower in cost to get in, and that did not happen. So there's a part of me, Aaron, that thinks the answer will be yes, but not necessarily because a third manufacturer truly comes in on their own says how much does it cost great writing that check off we go i have been skeptical about ferrari from the beginning as have many that's telling you nothing new i've mentioned on the podcast here in recent weeks since uh, the 24 hours of le mans that based on some things that i heard about meetings with ferrari there that they if they're going to expand beyond f1 are looking most realistically at sports cars, uh, more European sports cars than anything else, not coming over to IMSA. Uh, IndyCar would therefore then probably not be a realistic scenario. But then you have the other thing here too, which is a little bit weird, and it's just something in my own little flawed brain. Need to get that third engine supplier up and running here before too long i know that we're in 2020 that this isn't happening till 2023 realistically if by the end of next year you don't have uh, a third manufacturer saying yes we're in and we're starting the process and we're going to be testing it uh mid summer late summer 2022 there's problems so there's time there there's still time for that third one to get in frankly again about a year I would say, is the realistic deadline. But here's the thing I'm thinking, Aaron, and I believe I mentioned this on the show before, so I'll keep it short. Penske Entertainment bought IndyCar, bought IMS, big expenditures, a lot of money spent on upgrades and such, a lot of money lost with not having fans at the 500, and, you know, there's been, it's been a year of bleeding cash. Roger has been, behind the scenes, even publicly a little bit, been pretty straightforward in saying, yeah, we're not going to go out and buy this race oval track that's in trouble in order to therefore keep it on our schedule. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Enough indicators to say that Aaron Rogers feeling like he's a bit overextended right now financially, and I wouldn't disagree. If by chance in the next six months, eight months, ten months, Domestic and global economy improves. The Corolla virus is no longer ruining the opportunity to have full houses, sell lots of tickets here and there, and really get the economy of IndyCar back on track. 
assuming that a lot of things by approximately this time next year are in a much better place, would I think Roger and company might work with a Ferrari or similar to say, okay, if you're not willing to be all the way in financially, how much, where do you think you could meet us? And would that see the light of day? Would we know anything about it? Probably not. And so none of that is said in a negative way. It's said in a, that could be good business. And of course, spending money to make money is the thing you have to do sometimes. If it takes privately investing to get a third manufacturer on the grid and it benefits your businesses, and you have more cars, you have more sponsors, you are able to do a variety of Lord knows what. Maybe you can do things on the dealership front since Roger owns a thousand million dealerships. There's a lot of ways to work the creative angles to say, okay, if you're not willing to write the full check, let's talk about how we get you here and come up with something that works for everybody. Uh, Roger fully understands that for IndyCar to grow, and that means car counts, that means everything, for Aaron McLaren SP to be a four-car team, Team Penske to be five, six, seven, who knows, more importantly, for more teams to come in, new teams, you got to be able to put motors in their cars. Right now, Chevy and Honda are not uh, thin in that regard. They are stretched. So, there is a full understanding that for IndyCar to grow, become more profitable, more stable, more everything, you got to get a third manufacturer in. That's the limiting factor. And I don't know if it's been ever more <laughs> than what it is right now, Aaron. We have a situation where it feels like IndyCar could really take off, but to show that growth, to entice more teams to come in, I mean, I hate to say it, but some of the part-time teams that only do a, have only been able to do a limited number of events, it's because they're only able to get a motor for a limited number of events. Uh, when you have folks who would like to play more but can't because of supply limitations, you know, that's the uh, that's the local favorite pizza joint not having enough dough. And you go, wait a minute, our sales are really stuck. And if we were able to sell more pizzas, man, profits would skyrocket. We could open up more chains. We could do all kinds of stuff. If only we could get more dough. Well, I'd say, Aaron, that's the realization that the owners of IndyCar know, but it's really starting to hit home. They can't go out and reasonably say, hey, new potential entrants, uh, come on in. We got all the goods for you right now. Uh, you can go buy a chassis, new or used, and you can get tires for it. I don't know what you're going to do about that empty space between the bell housing and the rear firewall, though. So that's where we're, it's not just a, a want thing and a like thing. And wouldn't it be cool? It's a kind of stuck in a in a rut until we can make that happen. Therefore. Could it be an IndyCar's best interest to help facilitate that a little bit financially? I'd say so. 
Uh, let's go to Tony Chef 20. It says, with the doubleheader weekend between NASCAR and IndyCar opening up opportunities to work together, do you think that this is a possible solution for tracks uh, to up the dwindling attendance on ovals and get more ovals on the IndyCar schedule? Uh, Tony says, I sincerely believe that working together is the best way for motorsports to grow again. Well, I don't disagree at all with the last sentiment. Tony Chef 20, our pal from Reddit. I just might have to ask when that's really truly been the case before. Um, We have competing entities here. And I think I got a Miller's mailbag question from a very kind person who feeling and thinking very, very similar things. And it's a case of, well, hey, we've heard some manufacturers say, you know, we would be enticed to compete in more racing series if there was a common engine, some common regulations. So could you guys work towards those things? Um boy it sounds awesome and i don't disagree with the spirit like you have mentioned here tony chef 20 but nascar does not wake up every day thinking about what is best for motor racing it thinks about what is best for itself and to win in the marketplace and win by a wide margin indycar same thing imsa granted they wake up under nascar's roof but in the world of sports cars, they have competition and would just overstate the obvious here that I'd love to see more NASCAR and IndyCar combo events. It would only help uh, if we talk about crossover opportunities with fans and so on. And I can't really find anything that's negative there, but I'm also just reminded of the fact that we don't see Coke and Pepsi trying to work together to benefit the soda industry. We see them trying to beat the poop out of each other because it's free and open competition. And, uh, yes, that's how our economy works and that's how things work here. So it's just one of those things that I have to agree and say, boy, if a bunch of series came together and said, how do we make the sport safer, better, bigger, and you name it, we would all benefit. I don't know of that kind of humility to really exist in any kind of substantial way, though, uh, since we have folks all fighting over the same dollar. So, yeah, uh, spiritual agreement, practical disagreement. Joseph Kang. How you doing, Joseph? It feels like it's been a little while. It says, during the Harvest Grand Prix, they mentioned that Elio was having to get used to a steering wheel that wasn't his. Why didn't he have his own wheel that weekend? Was it too short notice? It got me to thinking about the variety of steering wheels out there, how much the wheels design, like buttons and switch gear layout, is specific to the car and team or driver? Question in advance. Uh, well, I would suggest that while team Penske was happy to let Elio go and help out a fellow Chevy ish team, um, and use, take his seat with him. Most likely it's an assumption, but that's one of the pretty common things. Uh, 
I don't know if they would let him take one of their steering wheels with him to that other team. That that might be a little bit too much. Uh, granted, I'm not saying that there's some sort of crazy top secret stuff with Elio's, the steering wheel that Elio uses that his team built and owns, but I would say beyond all that, you have a situation where the team he's going to has a steering wheel that is built and developed for its driver. Its functions are all programmed to happen and take place the way they desire and expect with this button here and that switch doing that. This is a pretty normal thing, Joseph, of the inbound driver needing to adapt to the team, not the other way around. Uh, Penske, I would never imagine they or any other team would give a driver their loaning to go to a rival and potentially beat them on track uh, more than his seat. And I can't speak to how much time Elio spent uh, learning the wheel and mastering how everything did what, where, and why, and all these things. But I would say that that's pretty much part of the expectation of an inbound driver. Don't know if I've mentioned it here before, but I think it was, I don't know, uh, almost a decade ago, maybe even longer, where I was at the Rolex 24 at Daytona, and Marino Franchitti was there, uh, Dario was driving for Chip Ganassi, I believe. Marino, better known as a sports car driver than anything, was not driving. And I was like, well, what are you doing here, you nut? And he said, I have homework. I said, what do you mean? And he pulled out this. It seemed like it was a foot thick. It wasn't. I mean, it was, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 pages, whatever it was. But it was the uh, the Acura, the Highcroft Acura HPD steering wheel booklet and it had everything in it about where what all the buttons were where they were on the wheel what they did how in this scenario you got to do that if you the car spins and you need to engage this then you need to press that and then you need to flip that right so here's a guy who knew that he was going to a team hadn't driven for them yet but knew that there was a highly customized steering wheel that he would need to truly know because you don't want to show up and be the guy who doesn't know. And so he said, yeah, uh, I'm going to spend my weekend just trying to master this. So when I test for them on whatever it was, Monday or Tuesday after the race, uh, after the Rolex 24, he would look like an old pro. And those are the kinds of things that impress a team right away. I am not saying Elio didn't do that. I have no knowledge of what Elio did or did not do in terms of learning the steering wheel. I would only have to assume the team put that information in front of them because that's what a high quality team like Air McLaren SP would do. Just saying out loud that regardless of what he used at Penske and where the buttons were and how he liked them and whatever, it doesn't really matter. Different team and you gotta get up to speed on how they do what they do. And uh, yeah, apparently that was part of the process for him. Let's go to our pal Kyle H.B. Donnelly. Says it's a two-parter. All right, I'm going to buckle in here, buddy. Is there a rough estimate on the number of raceable Indy lights chassis in existence? I always wondered of the relatively high cost and low car counts 
if that led to a supply and demand chicken and egg scenario, and if the Corolla virus shut down, uh, ended up stopping the uh, Delara IL-15 production altogether. So on that first one, I don't know if I was a smarter man and tried to pre-read all the questions uh i would have flagged this and tried to ask somebody who knows i don't know uh let me this is the sound of me no i'm not going to edit this out i refer to this show as my unpolished turd for those who don't know i leave in all the errors and mistakes and stupidity uh which also known as the entire show Uh, i'm making a note how many il 15s question mark okay I'm going to try and get that answer, Kyle. And if my brain functions appropriately, I will regurgitate that when I get it on a future episode. Second question. Would it behoove Ricardo Junkos to do what Sam Schmidt did in the 2000s and just flat dominate the junior formula until an investor comes along for a move up? Funny you should ask that, Kyle. Uh, Spoke with our pal Ricky today for a story about Indy Lights. I was hoping to get done while sitting at my wife's physical therapy today. Uh, I've interviewed four or five people for that little insider analysis type piece, really earmarked it for this two-hour physical therapy window, and sat down, and it became pretty clear that I needed to start writing a story about driver changes. Uh, So, yeah. So I didn't get to that. But in the conversation I had with Ricky said that he is definitely planning on going back to Indy Lights. There was no intent to not run Indy Lights this year, uh, but with the season being canceled, well, there you go. Uh, absolutely plans to be back to Lights next year. Hopes for it to be two cars, wants for it to be two cars. Cool part, his man Sting Ray Rob just won the Indy Pro 2000 Championship and therefore, woohoo, off to Indy Lights he goes, courtesy of the road to Indy. So, It'd be great if he stayed there with Ricky to do that. I would just say that Ricardo has been pretty darn involved in the road to Indy for a while. And I think has been known as a pretty darn good road to Indy entrant, uh, title winning. So a lot of talent has come from the house of Hunkos, and the only thing I would add here on the topic of maybe you stay there and flat dominate and then use that as the thing to propel upwards. He's got those IndyCar chassis, the desire to find budgets, true sponsors, independent sponsors to then go after the drivers that he wants. That hasn't panned out. I don't foresee it panning out before we get to this new engine formula. And whenever this new chassis comes, uh, boy, it's just a pretty rough time right now. Could we see him at the 500 again next year? Maybe a couple other races. That would be the goal. Uh, But honestly, in the limited time that I had speaking with him today, Kyle, I forgot to ask whether they completed at least their primary IndyCar chassis with the full aero screen in place and all updates so it could be ready to go uh, if someone wanted to go testing in the offseason or whatever. But not a bad idea by any stretch. I just know that the margins, man, the margins aren't great when you're talking junior open wheel formula. And I don't believe Ricardo maintains a giant staff, therefore a really big budget nut to hit each month. 
but I know that they're in a pretty big shop. They've got a couple of indie cars that cost them money, but aren't necessarily making them money. You know, it's not what you want, but to go forward with a plan like this, it might be best to lease out half of the shop. Uh, And if you can't do that, uh, who knows? But downsizing overall costs and then dominating, trying to dominate the junior formula, that would be the plan. Uh, Trying to mingle and other things, I think he still has his Cadillac DPI as well. I don't know if that's been purchased by anyone uh there's uh yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff that would have to get cleaned up first so now like pressing the push to pass button i'm going to see how many questions i can get through in as short amount of time so i apologize if the answers suck more than usual but uh i gotta get rolling here uh, our man ross porter mp the announcement of indy lights returning next year huge sigh of relief i really like the aspect of the top three championship finishers testing an indycar at the end of the year concept is definitely cool but with the series current climate of more drivers than available seats i don't see a test doing much moving many drivers up the ladder well i hear you ross there's no argument to that but we have seen scenarios where teams got to test a driver in the past and maybe didn't know the driver too much, but a good relationship was built or a good story was built coming out of that test. Holy crap. Did you see how fast so-and-so was? Or, hey, this kid's got great feedback, real, real clued in on the technical side. These things don't always pan out right then and there. But quite often... The really smart and adept teams look at the ones that impress them and go, aha, we might have nothing available for you next season or two, three years from now, but let's keep talking. And if we get a chance to test you or, hey, we've got another series that we run in, uh, let's keep talking. I just view this, Ross, from two angles and they both meet in the middle in an awesome way one it's only going to be a positive unless you crash of course this is only going to be a positive for top three kids to be able to showcase something entice some sponsors create some good publicity make some new friends and relationships uh whatever it might be this is an exposure thing and without this change, without this new thing giving the top three a test. Also, by the way, I'm kind of wondering why it isn't uh, the, I don't I want to say top three, but second through fourth, you know, the champion is going to get a bump. They're going to get that 1.25 million guaranteed three races, including the Indy 500. They're going to IndyCar. That isn't a question. Giving that champ one of those three tests I'd say it's a little bit of a given that something in that range is going to happen uh, with the team. The kid's going to be in a car at spring training, no matter what. Something along those lines. Part of me wonders if going into year two of this uh, enhancement plan, maybe they say, okay, uh, the champion gets a guaranteed test on top of everything else that comes with it, but really we want to make sure that the three behind 
him or her get a test because they aren't guaranteed to move on to IndyCar. So, yeah, only little, again, I don't want to call it a criticism, but just a thought like, hey, the winner's going. We know that. So, therefore, the prize of getting an IndyCar test, eh, not so much of a thing since they're guaranteed to go to IndyCar. Let's give the three behind the champ something that they might not get or they might really need to create some opportunities in IndyCar. The other thing, which is very valuable, is an enticement for teams, a new enticement, being able to say to the fathers and mothers of little driver A and little driver B, hey, if you come with us and you spend the money, bring the sponsorship, combination of the two, and little driver A or B is really talented, well, there is an opportunity. They're going to be driving an IndyCar at the end of the year, and all the things that I just mentioned, hey, great relationship starter, B2B conversation, what can we do? Uh, this is something additional for Indy Lights team owners to offer that they just have not had. And we're in a place where these kinds of things aren't going to make the Indy Lights grid explode with cars, but I would say the need for more enticements definitely been there and so this recognition by dan anderson his daughter michelle kish uh roger penske all the good folks on the road to indy all the good folks at penske entertainment there's a collective acknowledgement that hey we gotta put more in front of team owners to try and get kids and families into indy lights because there's some real stuff that could benefit them and also just throwing this back in as well, throwing in that titanium halo for next year, that's another thing we should not underestimate in terms of value. Uh, and Just if we were talking enticements, I don't know if it's received so much as a potential prize that could be earned, but I would say there are teams that have had parents say, yeah, I'd like to do this, but I'm not totally sold on the safety aspect. Uh, knowing what we see taking place with halos and aero screens and you name it across so many series, big and small open wheel. This is something that, uh, boy, you want us to come through and spend money? Let us know that our little driver A or B is going to be at minimum as safe as they would be in any other series. So nothing but positives here, Ross. Chad Russell, you sent in the question about paying for fuel. I was supposed to get this sent off and answered properly after the last show and i didn't so i apologize man i'm failing you i just cut and pasted the question though to uh send properly so i'm sorry uh it might have to be next week uh hirely how you doing from reddit mp as i cover climate change in school i got to thinking what creates more pollution indycar straight straight street race weekend what is wrong with me an IndyCar street race weekend with all the feeder series and secondary series. Uh, let's say Toronto or that same city with normal traffic and no race. Uh, I think that the time for street races are coming to an end with more cities needing to meet carbon neutrality levels and a street race with race cars would be the first to go in that initiative. Secondly, I was surprised that we got the Nashville street race because I would have expected major opposition from climate activists and groups. Or did this happen and I'm an idiot? 
Well, just a little note here. Don't ever, uh, don't ever end a question or, or any communication with, or am I an idiot? Because, you know, uh, I'm probably going to take you up on that. Kidding aside, Hire, I think the, the appropriate lens to view this through is through one of age. And would also maybe say, based on where you were born, possibly the state you live in, being a California guy, Northern California guy, trust me, climate change, climate erosion, air quality, just all these things, they are and have been just a daily staple forever here. So if you've grown up in the Midwest and you're accustomed to the daily crop reports and or weather and think, right, that's just been the fixture where you're from, just saying, here, like this is just one of those big constant drum beats of a thing that I can recall forever. It's also something that is certainly a big issue for folks who are far younger than I. Just would share that there's nothing you've mentioned that I would say is anything but correct. You certainly aren't an idiot. Don't leave that door open next time I'm going to take it. Use, there's nothing the least bit wrong or off base with what you are sharing. What we do not have, though, is youth-based decision-makers to implement the things you're talking about. Yet, those who are young enough and wielding enough influence to say, hey, uh, exhaust-spewing race cars, non-essential activity in city streets uh we do we need that pollution do we need that noise pollution do we need all the things that come from that while that could very well be a become a thing that changes the identity of north american racing in particular open wheel right you get imsa going to a couple of street races but not one of their making it's what indycar makes nascar does zero street racing so it really is IndyCar, uh, could this change in the future? Would I be surprised to hear more pushback on an annual basis when it comes to the Long Beaches and Torontos, etc., Nashvilles? It wouldn't. And, of course, as long as we have racing series that are owned by older folks who might not be either believing that uh, climate change is a thing or again you get a lot of folks who want to fall in with either political leanings uh, it could be faith-based leanings there's a lot of different angles to how folks might view the same thing I know surprise at least at the moment higher I don't see anything whether it's Nashville opposition or any other opposition from younger folks like yourself or otherwise, to stop these things. Can't say if I will uh, spend the rest of my life being able to say that, though. Really, it just is a situation of what happens. How passionate are folks to stand up and say, no, this shouldn't happen? Uh, Those are things we're going to have to find out. Last quick thing to mention, I can't say that this is something that I have a lot of memories attached to and to be able to say it's all a thousand percent factual but i would say we might assume that in places that are very 
plugged into climate change and ecology and all these all such things quite often you will find that there are no street races there have there ever been proposals in some of wherever these places might be uh possibly are those places where folks like yourself might have shown up in bulk and said no very possibly uh we know that it's not uncommon for a bunch of reasons uh that proposed street races are shot down and again for those of us in racing might not agree with some of the reasons but there's probably a, a drastic ratio may it be interesting for someone who cared more to find out what that ratio was than i to get there but i'm sure there's an interesting story in the number of street races proposed in north america versus the number of street races actually coming to life and that's maybe not including the ones that got the green light and burned out like boston grand prix and so on before they ever uh, really took off but I think your overall premise here might have been proven out in recent decades, just depending on where the proposals were made and what the general tone and feel of that demographic might have been regarding sound pollution, noise pollution, uh, traffic congestion, and so on. Maybe that's an interesting thing for you to do as a something related to a a school project. I don't know. Maybe I'm really lazy and I'm trying to get you to do the work for me. One of the two. Our pal Right Turn Lover, who we normally get riding in for our weekend sports car show. Double headers. Would Firestone be able to provide differently harder and softer tires for the two races of a double header to increase race to race variation? Red or reds and black or blacks, if you like. Could they? Sure. Would they? Uh that would have to come at the request of IndyCar. And I don't think IndyCar wants to piss off any of its teams. I really don't. Uh, as I think I mentioned in the last episode or something in one of last week's episode, greater number of variables make for better racing in almost every scenario. The folks that hate greater variables more than anybody are the teams and drivers. So as fans, it's awesome as the people have to put on the show and spend the money for r&d and testing and this that and the other oh boy this would be something where the costs to have to try and master two sets of tires two totally different types of tires i should say red or reds and black or blacks and normal reds and normal blacks Ooh, you're gonna get a lot of angry comments from folks if not giant pushback because there are certainly costs attached to it Granted, if they really wanted to have fun, they could just spring it on the teams. Oh, hey, by the way, here are your tires for uh, free practice one uh, in the opening round. Totally normal, like you'd expect. Come back for uh, round two, maybe if there's a practice or qualifying or whatever. Oh, hey, by the way, um, these are totally different reds than uh, you had. And uh, when we get to the race, yeah, uh, you have no clue what these uh, black or blacks are going to be like. That's what I would do. I'd get fired right after, but that's what I would do. Right turn lever. Uh, Peter Nutt. It says, we are heading into a new semi-lockdown in the Netherlands. So what's a couple of your older podcasts you would recommend uh, or had extraordinary fun with making them? <sighs> well, thanks for asking, Peter. Here's an admission. 
Uh, we're not too far away from a thousand episodes. We're at nine fifty six, I think. This will be nine fifty seven. My brain not do good. Keep things in memory going back long time when almost have one thousand of them. Uh, let's see. Anything with Bobby Unser was a laugh riot. And I know that your beautiful Dutch ears are capable of hearing such things. Just a little little spoiler alert. Uncle Bobby used some words that aren't particularly Christian. So prepare yourself for that. I know that I loved the conversations that I had with the Big Eagle, Dan Gurney. And we spoke about some pretty cool topics. One being uh, that magic week in 1967 where he won the 24 hours of Le Mans overall and uh, his most famous Formula One victory uh, at Spa. So that was a pretty, pretty, uh, I don't know. It just meant a lot to me. The conversation he and I had about his Le Mans record where we, I think, went almost year by year that was a lot of fun as well, so I might recommend that. Uh, I'm th- recalling an interview with chassis designer and race engineer Alan Mertens. And while I apologize, Peter, that I'm forgetting exactly what we discussed, it might have been the 92 Galmer chassis. That one stood out as something that I really enjoyed. And I've had a podcast that he and I recorded, I don't know, maybe two years ago on mid-80s IndyCar technology um, that I just got to get done during the off-season here for you. That was a real blast. It's not available for you, though, so why not just be a jerk and mention that when you can't get it? Um, I don't know, brother. Uh There are some turds in there. I'm absolutely positive there are some turds in there. But I would say anything with some of the older drivers, those are things that I tend to enjoy quite a bit. I love going back to a time either that I witnessed and enjoyed or took place before me. And so those things are uh, an awful lot of fun. And I don't know how much you're into sports cars, but there's a lot of sports car stuff in there as well that would be retro. So... Somewhere in there, marshallpruittpodcast.com. That's what I would check out as I start to lose my voice. Uh, Joey the Priuses says, if I had the means to do so, I'd open an IndyCar-themed ice cream truck in the next race with unrestricted fans. The question is, what flavors would I sell? Marshmallow Pruitt? Oh, that sounds fluffy and disgusting. Uh, the Tony George Banana Split or Charlie Kimball's Sugar-Free Vanilla If I haven't said this lately, Joey the Priuses, you are just a gem. And I'm so thankful you participate in this silly little thing that I do on a weekly basis. Because uh, even when I don't need a laugh, uh, you bring the laughs. And even on days where I'm kind of bummed out when we learn about Oliver Askew and things going sideways there, uh, I might not be laughing much here right now, but it brings a big smile to my face. So thank you. Uh, J.J. Gertler, uh, someone else who brings the mirth. Uh, not the Minister of Mirth, but he brings the mirth as well, Lance Snyder. So you got competition. He says, Pruitt's on. I know teams have to use the sponsor's colors, 
But Simon Pagano's Dayglo Menards car, for example, can be really painful to look at after a while. What's the worst livery you've seen? Uh, separate answers uh, for a car and on crew shirts. <sighs> wow. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so this is just one that, and I was a part of it. That's why it stands out. I don't know if I could say is worst because of the colors being so offensive to the eye. I would just say it was so ill-fitting. So in 1999, um, I worked with two teams, one in cart, one in the IRL. And in the Earl, uh, with good old Eliseo Salazar and his Cristal sponsorship, uh, and I forget what all else. So the car was yellow and green. So great. That's kind of fitting with sponsor logo, national colors and whatnot. Okay. About halfway through the year though, things got a little bit weird and not weird, bad, just weird. Uh, as someone who's spent a lot of his life in or around directly involved with African-American culture and so on and so forth. About halfway through the year, showed up at, I forget, was it Dover, maybe? Richmond? I don't remember. And FUBU was on the side of the car. FUBU. Uh, for us, by us. And... So this, I forget, what is the guy's name? Damon John or something like that. He's one of the, he's the, the black guy, the African-American dude on sh that show Shark Tank. So he and a handful of others founded FUBU in the 90s. And again, it was as pro-black a company you could find and I don't just mean clothing. That's what they did. They did, uh, shirts and jackets and pants, jeans and shoes. I'm just talking anything for us by us FUBU. It is as declarative of a statement, JJ, as you are going to get. So it is a clothing line made for us. And it's a clothing line made by us. Who better to partner with <laughs> in the more or less all-white indie racing league with the 1,000% all-white Neenhaus, what is it, Motorsports LP Racing Team? Fine people. Truly fine. I mean, I love Larry Nash, Leanne Nash. I mean, I love, no joke. Could not tell you how much I love the folks on that team. Uh, Midwest as could be, uh, wasn't a mean bone in anyone's body. Truly, like just heartwarming folks. But I'm just telling you, JJ, showing up at wherever, and this is apparently a deal that came together at the last minute. I have no idea how the Neenhouse brothers somehow uh, fell in with FUBU sponsorship, which was very still kind of sort of on point by 1999. I mean, if I recall, its peak was kind of 97, 98. So I do recall that by 99, it wasn't feeling totally, you know, on, on the point. But 
Anyways, I just recall showing up, and I think it was Leanne mentioning, hey, which, which shoe size are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm pretty sensitive about my shoes. I don't know why, but I really, when I've, in the limited times where I've had to wear the shoes a team says to wear, like, I've just bristled. So, anyways, when she asked what's your shoe size, I'm like, oh, uh, why? Well, we've got a new sponsor. And I think it was her picking me up at the airport or whatever. And uh, I'm like, really? Okay. And uh, I think she had the rest of, you know, shirt size, pant size and all that, because that's pretty normal stuff for the team to have, uh, whatever. So the rest of that stuff was set aside. But get to the track and see the cars got freaking FUBU on the side. And they made their version of Tim's, of Timberland's. And so I just remember being in that situation, JJ, going, well, on a hashtag me personally front, I'm very well aware of FUBU. I don't wear FUBU. I mean, again, I try not to be, you know, cultural appropriation here. Let's not be the guy in the for us, by us when I'm not us and it's not by me. Um, let, let's just be smart about knowing my knowing my lane. And it just blew me away. So uh, the FUBU on the side of the yellow and green G-Force Oldsmobile, um, that was crazy. And then the FUBU branded crew shirts and such. And again, I'm just looking at folks where, no disrespect, I probably fit the look as well, but it's kind of a hayseed type team. You know, these are true not urban folks in any way possible. And so seeing the 40, 50, whatever year old crew chief, 55 or 60, he might've been. And the, this person who, you know, uh, clearly not, uh, on the same universe in terms of demographic, it was hilarious. So I don't know if, bad or painful or worst fits any of that but if i can find some photos of us the most non-fubu guys ever decked out in our fubu whatevers and i remember i had a pair of their knockoff tims i refused to wear them um i just i couldn't go that far uh it's just hilarious and i think i think 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 uh, whatever the, the shark tank guy and the one or two other, you know, the major founders of FUBU came out to that event and got to meet them and say hi and shake their hands and whatnot. And I just, again, remember like just taking a step back going, Oh, I don't know if someone fully briefed you of, uh, of, of who you're partnering with here, but man, I hope this pays off for you. I just don't know if a bunch of older-ish Midwest white guys are exactly going to be part of your next advertising campaign. So uh, there's some a little bit of fun there. Friends, as I've been doing lately, I've been telling you, we are at the end of the primary questions that our man, Tim Falkowitz, has set aside for us. Uh, we aren't that far into the show. Hour five, hour seven minutes or so. Um, go over time here, not too long. But let's try and dive into some more below the cutoff line uh let's see jj gertler you're back um 
send that in again if you really want me to get to it. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at some of the David Piles. Hi, Marshall. General question. Something you've been wondering about for 25 plus years. Uh, who pays the health insurance for drivers? Is it the sanctioning body of the team? Or do the drivers take care of it themselves? Thankfully, motorsports have become much safer than it once was, but I still find it hard to believe an insurance company would cover someone in such a high-risk field. Well, uh, there's no single answer. It's a bit like how long is a piece of string, David? Uh, There is no specific answer here. In many cases, the majority of cases, you will find that drivers are independent contractors. Uh, They are signed to a team through their LLC or their S Corp or whatever it might be, but you will not find many situations where pro drivers are truly an on-the-books full employee of the team they drive for. There are some, don't get me wrong, but it's... eh, it's more of a independent contractor. You're going to get a 1099, and you need to handle your health care. You need to handle your personal insurance policies, business insurance policies, whatever it might be, uh, whether you are looking after yourself as an individual or all of those in your company, whatever it might be. A um, lot of variability here. would say that, It's not a surprise these days for drivers to have their own PR rep or media rep, uh, someone that looks after something for them. Could be just a straight-up personal assistant. Could be multiple people. You never know. Um, So if we're talking blanket insurance, blanket health care, these are things that uh, definitely are handled in a variety of ways. We'll also mention that there are specific folks who do specific insurance for motor racing teams and drivers. So not necessarily the big kind of nationwide place that you might be think or places you might think of, but uh, good man, John Gore's line, for example, he uh, on top of being a pretty stellar guy who's looked after folks for decades You'll see John at seemingly every IMSA race. You'll see him at IndyCar events. You'll see him in a lot of different places. And yeah, this is exactly what he does, is look after drivers and in some cases teams as well and does direct insurance deals with them. I know that, just quick example, on occasion where I will see John, who once again is ever-present, he might mention hey, are you going to be going to this race? And it might be something that who knows what it is, but maybe it's just a little bit far-reaching or not something that's going to expect to have big turnout, big coverage, whatever. There's more a little bit back in the day. Everything today seemingly is streamed and available for folks to watch. But in those instances where he knew that he had some clients at an event that might be out of his travel plans and maybe not something that has you know, ready update sitting on the web, he would say, hey, uh, are you going to be at so-and-so race? And I'd mention yes. And he'd say, if uh, if anything happens with any of the drivers, 
can you just let me know shoot me a text or or something you know if there's a crash there's a whatever and it wasn't as detailed as and here's my full client list so therefore you know to call me if so and so or so and so gets hurt or has a big crash it's just more a case of i like to try and be there to look after things directly but i can't be at all places every weekend so if by chance and i'm sure he's asked this of many other folks whether it's reporters or series personnel you name it hey if something goes sideways with a driver could you let me know um as quickly as possible because if it's one of my clients i want to be sure that i can set a lot of things in motion to uh, look after them so that's uh not an uncommon thing as well david all right uh let's see where else do we rattle through here Good Lord, y'all send in a lot of questions. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I just wish I could get to all. Jamie Carr, you sent in a really long question, which I do appreciate. I'm not going to be able to get to that this time. Uh, John Wojnar. All right, well, this is, this is an interesting one. MP1 asked briefly about the Zach Veet situation. From this angle, I noticed in 2018, IndyCar actually made a video about Zach rock climbing the week of the Portland race. Since he was benched this year for rock climbing, I'm curious... Do most contracts allow such things when promoting a product or the series, or is it just a tool used to get him out of the car? Speaking of which, thanks for the permission to naked rock climb this weekend. I had fun, but should have put on more sunscreen. Hashtag roasted chestnuts. Oh, John, you and the Prue Day uh, gang are scaring me, but I love you guys. I haven't seen the kids' contract. Uh, they despite my request, don't send all contracts to me before uh, signing them with their drivers. I don't know what was in, again, I can't tell you if he has one contract that uh, served the entire three years or if there were any amendments or updates to it. I don't know. You can't say that every team does the same thing or has the, uh, you cannot do things that might hurt yourself outside the car, Uh, you know, adventure sports, extreme sports. uh, Those are all prohibited. Uh, while you're under contract with us can't tell you if that's the norm for everybody uh, i certainly know that yeah it's not uncommon to hear about such things whether the series did something or nbc or whomever did something about him rock climbing um i can't speak to that in terms of permission not permission good idea not a good idea i would just tell you that a Apparently, there was something contractually that could be used as a lever to pull him out of the car uh, based on such things. And whereas in 2018, having a good year and all those things, it may be not being seen as a real issue. When things come to a head and there are decisions made that, hey, uh, thanks, but we don't want you here anymore. And since you probably won't just go away on your own, um, we need to find a contract-based method to do it. Uh, here we go. Um, I need a name, please, from Reddit. A couple weeks ago on Twitter, you mentioned that Rebellion was the big European team that had been evaluating IndyCar at one point. Are there or have there uh, been any more rumblings of notable teams or technical partners evaluating the series who would be new to the series? I would have to assume the answer is yes. I'm unaware of any at the moment, but I provide that answer answer to you in that way because I try to know a lot 
and maybe if things go well on a certain day, know more than anybody else about such things in IndyCar. But I'm also always aware that there are many things happening that I know nothing about. Uh, so could there be? Very likely. Uh, I know I've tried to help one or more teams uh, or even manufacturers come over, get in, meet the right people, you name it. And I know that a lot of journalists do that, and it's not unique to me. It's just, hey, you look for the person or people who kind of are in the center of a lot of things, and it tends to be idiots uh, like me. Uh, let's see, Mike DiCardo said, why do Formula One tires, contact patch insides, have a very high sheen to them, both coming out of the garages for qualifying and during pit stops in the race? Pretty sure it isn't armor all. Uh, that would be mold release. And really, each tire manufacturer has different methods and, frankly, different tools and construction. Um, God, why is my brain falling apart right now? Uh, materials used for such things. So uh, it's not, well, granted, if you're talking the Pirellis in F1, those indeed look like bowling balls. They're so heavily polished. But that is honestly just a bit of a function of how each manufacturer chooses to produce their tires and also the mold release that is used. So uh, I think I mentioned however many years ago in one of the episodes that uh, back in the Ayrton Senna McLaren Formula One days when he was using Goodyear's, uh, he had mentioned to one of the good good stone. Sorry, I'm drunk. I'm not, but I should be. Goodyear tire techs that he felt something different with the tires um, in the first couple of laps of getting up to speed on them, and he was assured that nothing had changed in terms of construction, terms of compound. There's truly the tires you just went out and drove on. There is zero difference to the previous ones that you drove on and he wouldn't accept it did not he didn't disagree with the person saying you're a liar he was just saying that that's great but there's something different and after tracing that back they found that there was indeed a change and someone had decided to use wd-40 and i know the show is sponsored by the justice brothers but i can't change history to my sponsors uh benefit but there was someone at the goodyear racing tire production facility who uh, had changed practices and apparently started using wd-40 to spray inside the mold so that once the tire was produced made it easier to remove it from the mold i don't remember what they had done before but this was a change, and because of this, Senna, having probably the most highly attuned butt and uh, sensors of any driver maybe ever, was able to feel that change in the tire compound in the tread of that influence of WD-40 being sprayed in the mold before the tire went in and was made, uh, to ease it coming back out. And while what the engineer had said, no change in anything in terms of construction or compound was true, was this minor difference that he felt of the WD-40, and I'm guessing burning off. However, it was the mold release agent that was sprayed in was then released from the tire. 
he could feel that, which is crazy, uh, running out in the first lap or two on those tires. And so I don't remember if those tires were shinier, Mike, but yes, uh, it's an individual thing, and we don't see that in IndyCar, thankfully. Uh, okay, down to the last one or two. Uh, Ed Joris, any word on how the spec hybrid system is going to be? Hashtag me personally. I sure hope the manufacturers play with a hybrid control software. Okay, so I know that from asking this question of, hey, do you expect it to be totally spec? Or are you going to open things up to start or a couple years in? Uh, Darren Sansom, who is leading this, I think that's his name. I'm sorry if it isn't uh, leading this side of things for IndyCar, has said, no, there's no intention to open things up to start but this could very well be opened up to manufacturers to play with uh, shortly within a year or two or something along those lines. He also asked, what are the chances of McLaren being picked again to provide the ECUs? Uh, I would say that would surprise me if they weren't chosen. Um, Let's see. Michael Mueller, Marshall, ever since you and Robin reported that Andretti Autosport reached out to Santino Ferrucci about driving the number 28 car, I've been wondering why they thought this would have been a personality fit. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that this offer was just really an elaborate cover for a legendary Andretti driver's prank. I'm pretty sure they just wanted to get Santino cornered in the team engineering office so they could duct tape him to a chair, shave his head, and give him a Biden for president tattoo, something like that. Thoughts? Oh, man, Michael, I love the way you think because it's really crazy and deranged, and that's a perfect fit for me. Uh, yeah, it seems like the drivers that have the most complaints uh, about young Mr. Ferrucci happen to drive for Andretti Autosport, so the idea of this being a prank to just kind of get him in their control and then do mean things to him uh no it's pretty funny uh talking about the personality fit i hear you but i would say knowing the budgetary numbers that the team needs to acquire to keep things status quo for next year i don't know if personality fit really was the first thought uh who is known to bring money to teams that is fast and would they be interested in driving for a faster team? Uh, that's probably in there. Uh, the Biden for president tattoo is kind of funny by the way. So thanks. Uh, we're going to close here with our pal, Kevin DeVries. How you doing? Kev says MP being immersed in the silliness. That is the Prue day. Should I mention that the new day, my favorite WWE tag team, which the Prue day, an assembly of, hyper-committed and possibly clinically insane listeners of the show have kind of gotten together and banded together and intercommunicate with one another. I was really bummed out to learn that Friday on the WWE SmackDown, um, well, the uh, New Day, my favorite tag team, The at times the one and only reason I would want to watch the WWE, they were broken up. So... The Prue Day is really about the only thing that's still together that's uh, at all related to it. Anyways, Kevin says, being immersed in the silliness, that is the Prue Day, got me wondering about the imminent silly season. Last year was such a doozy. Are we likely to hear about plans for 2021 prior to St. Pete, or will teams and drivers sit on any decisions until the shorter than normal off season? 
He says if preseason tests start when they normally do, fingers crossed, I figure that's just three months until IndyCar is back on track. Yeah, man, I think we're going to hear about a number of things. Uh, I'm hearing that at some point this week, uh, one of the current drivers, full-time drivers in the field, will be confirmed that that driver is returning next season with that same team. Uh, I won't say which because I was asked not to, but uh, I do believe that it, well, that is expected to happen this week. Expectations are continually defied, so we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here's one silly season silliness I'll throw at you. And I, if I'm right, you don't owe me anything, Kev, because I appreciate you listening and you trust me. That's that's enough payment as it is. You already suffer. If I'm wrong, maybe I duct tape myself to a chair and shave my head. And I don't know who Robin Miller for president. That'd be the tattoo I'd have to get. Um, would I be shocked if we were to read a story, possibly written by myself, maybe by Robin Miller, maybe David Malsher, who knows, that says. Ryan Hunter Ray will be driving for Aaron McLaren SP next year. Would that shock me? It would not. It'd be a shocker in terms of upsetting something we've known to be the norm for a long time. That being Ryan Hunter Ray, DHL, yellow race car, driving for Michael Andretti. Would say that Michael Andretti and Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren, uh, they own things and do things in motor racing uh multiple things in motor racing they pretty close pretty sharp pretty smart pretty everything um could there be a fully funded seat at the house of Aaron mclaren sp that is not at andretti autosport where a guy with the nickname of captain america with an indy 500 win and an indycar championship who is by no means done ready to retire or any of that would i think be a huge boost to the team in every way because he's been a top line pro for 10 or 15 years just saying uh, since i haven't heard anything about a budget coming together to keep him at andretti which i would hope would happen would love to see him retire there but if that were to not happen and since we now know for sure that second Air McLaren SP seat is open for 2021. Would I be shocked to learn that uh, the buddies who own racing teams together and do stuff uh, while being competitors in IndyCar, you know, one guy doesn't have something for his longtime team leading driver, but the other guy does. Maybe there could be a little bit of, uh, you know, hey, man, um, Sorry, we don't have anything for you this year or for to keep you, but uh, there's something pretty darn good for you at a buddy's place. Not saying it's going to happen, just saying that uh, I wouldn't be shocked if I were to read that news at some point in time, but I also know that we could read about plenty of other drivers potentially filling that seat. So there you go. Um, I think that we're going to hear more for sure. 
Kev. Some of the stuff we've mentioned, uh, I've written about, hey, uh, Scotty McLaughlin, fourth Penske, you know, are any of you going to be surprised if you end up reading that story uh, wherever you read it and that being confirmed? I don't think so. Um, I hope that Felix gets confirmed and returns and whatever things that were done to change Dixie's fortune this year, is there a similar thing to do for next year with his program? Again, I don't know. I truly don't know. There might be zero personnel changes needed. It might be a hundred percent on the driver. It might not. I genuinely don't know me being there, seeing it, feeling it, feeling it sounds a little gross, but not being at the races this year, being able to observe talk up close with some folks who aren't readily on the phone. Um, you know, I'd love to give you a little bit more insight to be able to say, aha, here's one or two things. I don't quite have that yet, but, uh, there's another name. I'm not mentioning it. Um, unfortunately, Kev, but there's another name that I know has looked around and, Ooh, not exactly like that struck me as a, Oh, huh? Um, yeah, we're not done, man. Uh, we aren't done. Let's just, uh, pour out another little bit from our 40 and say, you know what? There is nothing I would love to see more than confirmation of Oliver Askew in a new full-time home and, he is he is the real deal. He just needs to be in a place where a strife and nonsense and lack of testing and crazy crashes, uh, yada yada yada, aren't part of the narrative, and he can just be himself, like that kid who was free and clear and kicking everybody's ass in Indy Lights last year. Put him in a similar situation with no external drama, no any just create a fantasy world um holy cow that is a future champion so that's my story i'm sticking to it thanks for everything y'all sent in uh once again i went a little bit longer in overtime than i anticipated but there you go i am marshall pruitt this is a marshall pruitt podcast brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and bell racing helmets usa Thank you for listening. We'll be back later in this week with part two. And I can only imagine what's sitting in that word document.